All right. There we go. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we start uh, kind of a new series. We've been in John for a really long time. It's been a good study. It was good to work our way through the book of John. Uh, and this morning, I'm going to attempt to do something uh, that, that I was thinking about. It's probably really impossible, actually. Um, what I want to do is I want to I have you think of some really, really big ideas, some huge ideas. Um, the, the kinds of things that you think about when, when life gets super, super clear. And, um, and like I was thinking about for my own life, here's, here's when these moments were. When my child was handed to me for the very first time, it's happened to me five times now, and each time it was exactly the same. I saw life crystal clear for, for a little bit of time, and I realized, man, so many things I think are important are not even remotely important. Here's, here's, here's a, a second one. When you're getting married, that's a day that, you know, there's a lot going on. There's high blood pressure. You're nervous. There's all kinds of stuff. But, but you also see things crystal clear for a moment. Here's some other ones for me. Near-death experiences. Now, because of the way I live my life through most of my 20s, there's a lot of them for me. Um, they've slowed down somewhat. But after a near-death experience, you, you, you just see things really clear. At a funeral, at a graveside, when you're standing there and, and, and you just buried someone that you love, next to a hospital bed where you're watching the life of a precious person wasting away, and you walk out of there and you realize, man, that was a sacred moment right there. You just see things crystal clear. Here's why what I'm about to do is really, really tough is because um, unless one of the two pregnant ladies in the first two rows over here, by the way, Valley Fair has parking lot or parking spaces for pregnant ladies or expectant mothers. Our section apparently is right over here. So, so the way that you announce that you're pregnant in this church now is to come and sit over here. So uh, Mark and Colleen, is that okay? No, no, no. The Alberts, we can just work our way back. No, it's right here in these first two rows. So unless... Unless we have a, a child here, uh, they'll be able to think crystal clear, but maybe the rest of you won't think quite as clear. We, don't, we aren't planning on having near-death experiences here this morning. Um, I don't plan on keeling over to where you go, oh, I get Dave's message. Maybe God will use me as a living metaphor, I'm not sure, or a dead metaphor, I'm not sure how that works. But point being this, to draw you in to think about really crystal clear things and some foundational things and strip away all the stuff that really doesn't matter, it's really challenging when we just come and meet on a Sunday. However, if you think about why God actually commanded Sabbath, he commanded that we come and gather at least once a week, put everything else aside, lay it all down, and just be together. We're not identified here this morning as, I'm a boss of 29 people. I'm at the low part of the work chain. I'm not a boss of anyone. I'm this, I'm that. All the titles that we bring in kind of strip away on a Sunday morning, and I love that. I love that we can come and just be, and that's really, really biblical. But this morning as we walk through, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a church? What are the essentials? What are the, the foundational elements to being a church? Now, a lot of what I'm going to say over the next course of, of time here is going to be, um, guys, I just, there we go, um, is going to be review. It's going to be a reminder. I think especially for those who are um, not new to, to Neighborhood Bible Church, we're approaching year three, 
And um, some of you have been here the whole time. Some of you are, are relatively new. But if you've been around here, you've heard some of these things. Um, we did a series a couple of years ago, I think at the start of 07. It was just called Church in HD. And we just took biblical metaphors for how God describes the church. And we just grabbed those and we just dug into them and said, what are those all about? Along our back wall are some, are, it's almost like a, a little visual journal of where we've been as a church. We hung those from our ceiling fans to just say, this is how God describes a church. Let's be that. Let's be the bride of Christ. Let's be a flock of, of sheep. Let's be a family. Let's be a body. And there are some others, but those are the four that we really kind of, kind of grabbed onto. I remind you of why we're, what God had intended for the church because of a couple of things. Here's, here's just a couple of reasons I thought of. One is that vision leaks. There's a certain sense that when you get up and you launch a vision, you say, this is the direction we're going. Leaders in this room totally understand this. I don't care if it's at work or a new plan or whatever's happening at home, on the soccer field, kind of wherever it is. You, you say, this is the direction we're going and here's why it is. And everyone's like, yeah, we totally get it. And what happens is, you can't just say that once and expect that month after month after month after month, people just remember that and regurgitate that in their minds and soak in that and say, yeah, we totally know why we're doing this. This is true all through the Bible. One of the clearest examples is, is Nehemiah building the wall. Reminding the people why we're doing this, why we're going in this direction. The Israelites had a very difficult time with this. We forget. That's our tendency as people. Here's another thing. Everything that we are about comes back to some really, really simple truths. They're so simple, in fact, that our children's ministry actually has the ability to teach our children really fundamentals of what we're about as a church. And that's pretty powerful. Uh, God, God designed. I want you to watch for the master uh, designer of the church, namely God, as we talk about some things, think about the fact that what we're talking about here in the Silicon Valley, one of the most technologically advanced places in the world, translates to, as we just sang in the song, He Reigns, a hole-in-the-ground church meeting somewhere in, in China right now. It translates to the, the, the plains of Africa where you don't have a building and ceiling fans and that sort of thing. It translates to people who are uneducated and maybe can't even, can't even read. Because God designed it pure and simple, as the title says this morning, so that it can work in all kinds of contexts. Here's the third thing is that clutter happens. You ever notice this? It's not just that kitchen drawer, right? That, 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 you guys have a kitchen drawer where things just tend to gravitate to? It's remarkable. I mean, just as I go in and I say, where's the trash? My first pick's always under the sink, and I, I go to the right. And that's, that, that, that gets me probably 80% of the time, you know. Some of you have those fancy trash compactors where you push the button and it slides out. But most people, it's under the sink, you know, something like that. I can also go, you know what, show me your kitchen drawer. And most people have one. It might be in the den or something. But it's that drawer where everything just kind of ends up. And, you know, when, when you think, like, I want to find that one thing, go look in that drawer because it, it, it may be there. Here's the reality. It doesn't happen just in kitchen drawers. It happens in our lives. It happens in churches. It happens in, in, the, in the corners and nooks and crannies of our churches. Is that things just tend to gather and things just start to, and then it starts to just kind of clutter and kind of build up. And that's true of a church as well. And we want to we fight that. Part of why we want to fight that as a church is that this, clutter equals mediocrity. Clutter equals mediocrity. As a church, we could keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. Everyone's got a great idea. And you know what happens? Eventually, we do 39 things very so-so. And probably about 30 of them, we shouldn't even be doing. 
They might be great things. And we, as individuals, as community groups, as a family, as a neighborhood, we should be about doing those. But we as a church maybe shouldn't have quite taken that on. God said it this way, that the lukewarm Christian, the mediocre Christian, it actually sickens him. The same way that lukewarm coffee sickens me. Give me an ice latte or a super hot latte. Don't give me a lukewarm one. And that's a great picture. We want to just spit that out. We don't want that in our mouth. And so we don't, our, we don't want our worship that same way. We don't want our church that same way. Pure and simple life with God. That's what he wanted. Jesus actually went out of his way to, to decry clutter-type ministry. Clutter-type things. He called it religion sometimes and, and whatnot. But here he is outing the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23.3. Just listen to this. He says, do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Elsewhere he said this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and take on my yoke, because it's easy. Remember his general call that we've been talking about? Follow me. Not get your life cleaned up, then follow me. Get some great schooling in you first, then follow me. Achieve some status and then follow me. It was quite simple. Follow me. Come after me. We're wanting to keep that same idea. Isn't it true sometimes that complicated, complicated leaves you paralyzed, right? Sometimes things get so complicated you get paralyzed. I'll tell you where this happens for a lot of people. First tee on the golf course. People who don't, people who don't play a lot of golf are blessed in some ways because they don't have any idea what they're supposed to do. But anyone who's played the game a little bit tends to tinker and they go, well, I'm supposed to do this and I watched this on the golf channel and I read this online and da-da-da-da-da-da. And they get up there and they're frozen. And they're just, they're, they're, it's, it's complicated and they can't move. Sometimes churches can get the same way. Don't you love just kind of those, those pithy, memorable things that the Bible offers to us that kind of takes, it's just like a gift. It's like, here's a simple little gift. Just memorize this verse. And this sure captures a whole bunch of what I'm talking about. The Bible's a big book. There's a lot of verses in there. Let me take the whole Old Testament and just, and just give you one of these gifts, okay? I think these are gifts from God. Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? Would you ask that question? God, what do you want from me? I'm ready. I'll, I mean, I'll do it. Just what do you want? Here it is. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's a great verse to memorize, Micah 6.8. Just put that in your brain. When you're on the first tee and you're doing your waggle and you're thinking about inside out and your grip and all this stuff, you just kind of take a deep breath and you quote Micah 6.8. And you go, okay, listen, I'm out here playing a game. This is golf. Let me just swing the silly club. And sometimes life can get that way. Here's a New Testament example. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Here it is. Ready? To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure and simple. That's the way God designed it. Do you need a seminary degree to figure out what this means in the Greek? No. It means exactly what it says. Okay, that really is what it's saying. That's a New Testament and Old Testament example of the pure and simple life, just the way God intended for it. If you're taking notes this morning, here's where we're going to here's where we're going to kind of go. We're going to cover identity. We're going to cover mission of the church. This is kind of an overview of of the next six weeks. 
And then we're going to look specifically this morning, just a little bit of what it looks like for us. Specifically this locale, how are we going to move forward with this? Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to grab each of our kind of play button ideas, worship, community, and share. And we're just going to hit on them one, one at a time each week. And we're going to do that twice. So we're just going to get to look next week at the word worship and say, okay, we know we're called to worship. What does that mean to look like and, and move forward? We'll talk about that more in a second. First of all, the church is. This is talking about identity. The church is. There's a certain identity that we need to grab. Part of why images are really good is when you start feeling super good about yourself, go look at the picture of the sheep, okay? And realize that's what God calls us. We're sheep, okay? We're not like top of the food chain, you know, Mufasa, whatever, like, you know, like, like really, you know, cool. We're the sheep, okay? Uh, this, this picture of a body is really fascinating because you can just sit there and gravitate toward, man, isn't that true that we all fit in somewhere, but uh, Jesus is the head. No one gets to claim that spot. All the rest of us serve the head. So let's start figuring that out. These, these ideas and, and identity really matter. Very quickly, here's what the church is. There's a lot of things, but I just threw out a couple that you can write down. One is that we're a community. We're a community of people. We're not a building, we're not a denomination, we're not an affiliation. People say, well, what are you all about as a church? Man, sometimes that's a really hard question to answer. Because I go, well, I'll tell you a lot of what we're not. In short, you know what? We're an organism, not an organization. We're, We're this living thing that I'm certainly not in control of. God's in control of it and it's, and it's, it's, it's there. Here's something else though, is that it's real and it's tangible and it's specific. The church is real. Now, maybe that's just, you know, speaking really plainly, but I thought I'd throw it out there. It means this, too, that it's not perfect. It's not, this, it's not an ideal. It's not some utopia. The Bible never paints a picture of that. It says, it says that we're going to get some sinners. We're going to get them together with other sinners. We're going to have them saved by grace, and they're going to try and work through life together. And then we're going to, God just gives us all the Old Testament with example after example of how things get screwed up when you get a bunch of sinners together and how God's grace continues to be on display as we walk forward following Christ. So it's not a fantasy. It's not some ethereal thing that's out there. It's real. It's not abstract. One of the greatest illustrations of this is Jesus. Jesus came to a specific place in time. Jesus had dirty toenails. Jesus ate regular food. He talked with people. He, he was incarnate. He came and, and dwelt among us. He was subject to the stuff of earth. The idea of a baby and just the way a baby grows. To, to think that Jesus babbled. This morning, Cassie was trying to communicate a message to me. I'm in the shower. She's talking. I have no idea what she's saying. And, and this conversation is escalating. Because I'm totally calm and in control, but she's getting a little bit aggro at me because I don't understand what she's saying. And at three years old, you have definite, clear ideas of what's being said, and you're frustrated at the inept adults who can't understand you. And to think, Jesus, before he preached as Messiah, he babbled like a baby. And people didn't understand him. And he used, he didn't come out of the womb saying, Thou art! He didn't do that. He, he was real, and, and it was tangible, and it was, it was right there in front of your face. And the church is the same way. And the, the best way I know to say that is that we're a family. We're, we're, we're not a fantasy. 
So, so look at your own family and realize, yeah, there's an ideal out there. There's the end of movies where we all feel good about the ideal situation. And then there's us. And let's not get trapped as a church to say, well, there's some ideal church going on over in Florida right now. And if only our church could be more like that. I, as a pastor, could be really seduced into saying, man, there's this congregation and they laugh at every single joke right on time. But then they get serious again. I mean, just, you know, whatever. And, 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 they, and, they, and they, you know, are just a great congregation to, to, to lead. And, and people get seduced away by that. Sometimes, in fact, pastors go from church to church to church looking for that. And a church will go from pastor to pastor to pastor looking for that. You know what that is? It's like divorce. I mean, it's setting yourself up for that relationship. This isn't quite working out. This isn't really convenient anymore. Next. Gong, you know. And the church isn't a fantasy. It's not this, this ideal thing. It's a family. And so when you walk through a normal week, have some grace with the people in your church and realize, you know what? We're a family. This is the way God calls to it. We're going to stick it out through thick and thin. Finally, it's global and eternal, meaning this. God's neighborhood includes our neighborhood, but it's not limited to our neighborhood, right? God's neighborhood is huge. If you're God, then your neighborhood, strolling through your neighborhood, isn't that hard if it's the whole globe. For us, that's just, that's mind-boggling to me. So many places, so little time to visit, right? But, but for God, that's all His neighborhood. And so as we're doing things here, we, we just need to realize and think that in some kind of mystical way, how we interact with each other and what we do here has, has direct impact on the body of Christ global. Church with a capital C. Not even just missions organizations that we choose to financially give to or, 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 or pray for. But, but somehow our representation of the local church here affects those in other parts of the world. And that's a really powerful thing to think about. Because God's doing something globally. And we like to sing about that and talk about that a lot. And the idea here was just that it's a marriage and not a business. There's something to a, to, to a marriage that's really, really mystical. And I, I count it a huge honor to stand up in front of a group of people sometimes and get to, get to tie the knot with them and go through marriage vows and realize. I tell the couple all the time, I say, you know what? The, the, the biggest audience really, this is a covenant before you and the Lord. And so something, something magical and mystical and spiritual and wonderful is going on when you're, when you're saying your vows to, to, to one another. So let's keep that kind of the focus. And the same is true here. We're the bride of Christ, and there's just this intimate language that goes on. It's not just a quick business transaction that you can kind of see all the parts, and there's nothing really that, that magical to it. The church's identity and her mission are joined at the hip. If you separate, separate out who the church is from what she does, there's just huge, huge problems. One of the unique things about a church is that she exists for the sake of those that are not yet part of her. Think about most every other group, organization, uh, foundation, whatever that's there. Most everything else exists for its members. A church exists primarily for those who aren't members yet. And we get it really, really wrong when we start doing things for inside. Here's a challenge for me as someone who stands up and preaches most Sundays. I really appreciate feedback. And when someone comes and says, Dave, I've got to tell you, when you said this, man, it really challenged me this way or that way. 
But what can tend to happen is I can tend to preach in such a way and start to lean in such a way where I keep all of the comments from those inside these four walls in my head. And I begin to preach really just for us. And I, and I begin to preach with all the feedback that you give me without ever thinking about a person outside the walls of this church. Such that a person walks in one day, and I'm 20 years down the road, and I'm speaking some Christianese language, and they don't have a clue what I'm talking about. And I live in such a Christian bubble that, that I really don't even relate to a single thing that that person's talking about. And that's a challenge for us. We, we, we don't want to become that church. That's, that's a bad place to be as a church. What the church does matters, and that's the idea of mission. At the Carlson household, uh, we love missions. We have a couple of guys in our household, and um, here's how it goes. This happened this last week. I don't, I don't like set this up so I can have cool illustrations. This is just my life. We're sitting there at, I think, breakfast, maybe breakfast or dinner. I'm not sure which. But um, we go through like 20 gallons of milk every week, I think. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's a lot. So we have our gallon of milk. It's been polished off. We screw the lid back on, right? Because we know from experience that as soon as a child touches that, they're going to do this, and the last little bits of milk are going to apply. So we screw back on. And I say, Ethan, 10-year-old, take this and go to the recycle bin. But instead of just saying that, I say this. Your mission Ethan, is to take this to the recycle bin and to get back inside the house before it explodes. And so Ethan slithers over and jets out the door and Curran, our 12-year-old, starts to count. Ten. Nine. I start feeling the anticipation building in my own life and I'm going, come on, Ethan! You can do it! Ethan runs back in. I think he, I don't know if he heard through the kitchen window, but at, at like two, we're just going, and the girls are just like this. They just say they love their brother. One, Ethan bursts in the front door, dives, and lays down, and he's and we think he's dead for a moment. But Curran gave us the good news that he made it before it exploded, and because he was inside the house, all the explosion kind of went by him, and it didn't affect him in any way. These are the missions that go on in our house all the time. I don't care if we're hiking, doing chores, eating dinner, whatever. This is how it goes, okay? We love mission. Now, here's the thing. My, my son and I um, started one of the Lord of the Rings movies last night. Kern and I are starting to make our way through those. And here was my prayer last night. I said, God, I thank you for, for movies like that, that what they do is they, they put in movie form this great story that, that, that we're a part of. And I told you at the start, it's really hard to think this way in an everyday life kind of a situation, isn't it? Because we, we just get going and we don't think things are that important, but they're really hugely important. My interaction with each of you today is really important. Your interaction with each other is hugely important. So I just pray, thank you God for a movie like that that shows us and gives us a vision for how important this mission that we're on actually is. I mean, it's way more important, wouldn't you agree, than taking a milk carton to a recycling bin? Absolutely. But we sometimes forget that, don't we? And, and this mission that we're on can become, can become really boring to some people. And I don't get that in my own life. I don't preach this to you. I preach this to myself. I don't get how that can become boring to me. I don't get how the master of the universe coming in human flesh and saying, follow me and saying, and me saying, okay, Lord, and me watching him 
part the Red Sea in my life and save me time and again. I don't get how that can get boring to me. All I know to do is to fall on my face and repent and say, God, I'm sorry for ever making this boring or thinking it's boring or making it commonplace in every day. Please forgive me. The mission of the church is vastly important. Here are the two things that drive us at at Neighborhood Bible Church. Kind of two great shaping forces. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 28. And if you know where I'm going, you you don't have to go there because you probably got it memorized. But at the very end of Matthew 28 is something that's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission in a nutshell is this. Make disciples. You go and make disciples. That's Jesus talking to his people. We'll kind of look closer in a minute of what what a disciple is and and what that's all about. But I want you to think for a moment about Apollo 13. If if Apollo 13 uh, was given this mission, okay, here's the mission. That's a mission, by the way, that I can get excited about. You know, go to the moon, for instance. Let's say the mission is this, though. Go to the moon, explore, put a little flag up, get some moon dust, And come home. Let's say that was the mission, okay? Here's the problem if we only get part of the mission correct. If we get the mission to make disciples, but then we do the forgetful thing and we forget the rest, here's what it's like. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I am nothing but a cranging freak or a gonging cymbal. If I speak the word of God with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith, it says the mountain jumps. And it jumps. But if I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Wasn't that annoying? That's doing ministry devoid of love. That's, that's getting part of the mission right. And there are a lot of us, there are a lot of churches out there that are trying to make disciples without love. That are trying to preach the gospel apart from relationship and without love as their driving motivation. So here's the second thing. There's a great commission, it's to make disciples. And there's a great commandment, and that is to love. You want it in really, really simple terms? Love God, love family, love neighbors. Love God, love family, and love neighbors. Now, I said these are huge ideas. I said it was simple. I didn't say it was easy. A great commission and a great commandment. Here's why they're great, okay? They're great because they're God-sized in their scope. They're great because they're, they're, it, it requires God to pull this off. I mean, it's really humbling to realize that no matter how hard, how hard you ever try and do, you will never make a disciple apart from the Spirit of God at work in their life. We sang this a second ago, but with one breath, you made me new. The new life comes from God in dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, without God in it, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. 
And that's why this is great. It's a great commission. It's a great command. Here's how it fleshes out kind of in, in our story. <clears throat> 1302 Branham Lane is, is where we're sitting right now. Even though the church is global, capital C Church, it's also local and real and specific. And so the question is, well, how do, how do we live this out? How do we flesh this out? How are we to be a church? And here's the bottom line answer to this, is that there's freedom. Absent from the Bible is a massive list of rules of what a church has to do in order to qualify as God's church. Instead, Jesus goes about talking about the kingdom of God in, in terms of seeds and gatherings of people. And he doesn't put size limits on certain things. That means the megachurch, don't decry the megachurch. Jesus attracted massive amounts of people. The early church had 3,000 come to, come to Christ in one day. We, some people go through their whole life kind of bashing the megachurch and big church. If you've never been a part of one, don't, don't be a part of that. Don't take pride in your megachurch status, and let's not take pride in kind of a smaller church status. That's not what it's about. All such bickering is complete nonsense. Instead, let's, let's recapture these biblical images that are on the back wall. Let, let, let's just let them soak in our minds so we, we really understand who we are and what we're about. What it will cause us to do in some ways is relax a little bit. Some of you get up tight when there's freedom, and I understand that. Here's the, here's the line of reasoning. But if there's freedom, if there's not control, if there's not mandates, if there's not a policy manual, people will get it wrong. They'll use their freedom for their own selfishness. You know what I'd say to that? Ding, ding, ding. You got it right. Correct. Now, here's what I'd invite you to do. I'd invite you to turn. Uh, you don't have to do this right this moment. You can do it later on. I'd invite you to turn from Romans and read through the rest of the end and understand that most every letter written in there is written to a local congregation getting it wrong. Uh, most all of it is written to churches who've been given this freedom and then a pastor has to come along and shepherd them and guide them into how to live as free people because we don't know how to, how to use our freedom sometimes. And so he comes along and, and there's all kinds of great things in the New Testament that just say, man, this, isn't, this, this wasn't licensed to go down this road. And so let's, let's steer it back this way. But you'll notice, though, that the, that the New Testament writers still refuse to say, we're going to just give a dot to dot and you have to, you have to make it look exactly this way. The Bible instead almost kinds of, kind of paints some boundaries, some fences of a playground, and then tells children, go off and play. There's some very clear yes and no boundaries in Scripture. There's some very clear things. As a bride of Christ, if we're cheating on Christ, we're getting it wrong. That's a fence line. No. Yes. We get that. But within this kind of playground fence structure, you know what Jesus says? He says, man, you have all the freedom in the world to go and play. To go and be my kids. To go and live your life. To go and be on mission, but stay within these boundaries. And I love that about the scriptures. The church seems to be given clear parameters and then tons of leash, tons of freedom. Here's some characteristics of, of Neighborhood Bible Church. We don't have a lot of stuff going on. We don't have just a ton of stuff going on. Part of the reason behind that, I want you to know the understanding behind that, is we want to remain unfettered, unbound by, by an endless list of obligations and Christian things going on. My family is 
most likely today, unless God has something else in store for us and we live our lives this way. But we prayed about this. We're, we're going to go spend some time with some people at a park over in Sunnyvale, some friends of ours we haven't been able to connect with in a really long time. We're going to get to meet a bunch of their friends. You know why? Because I haven't structured my Sunday in such a way that I've got 39 things happening today. That means, here's part of the sacrifice. There's a ton of families in this building I'd love to spend more time with and get to know and walk with and and get to be fed by as well. But because my week's set up in, in, in the way that it is, and because I don't have already six nights out this week doing all kinds of things, tons of Christian activity... I've got this space in my, in my week to say, absolutely, we'll accept this invitation. Thanks for inviting us. We'd be honored to come and spend time at a park with some families that we don't know. We're going to a park. We're not leading a Bible study. We're not going to go street preach. We're not going to do a revival. I don't plan on doing baptisms, although there is a water feature there, so I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> I mean, you never know what God has in store. As we're driving there, here's the thought that will be on my brain. God, I can't wait to see what you have in store for us here. We're going to a park. But that's part of why we don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah, but if we don't have a lot of stuff, people might just take their time and just use it for themselves and watch TV. I know. It's okay. I I can't control that anyways, can I? It has to be between you and Jesus. Frankly, people could come and do a a bunch of stuff at the church anyways and have their hearts be at home watching TV. Can't wait till they get home and click on TiVo and catch the game. Now we're just doing a bunch of stuff and... And I could be at home watching the game. I mean, it, there, there's, there's a certain sense of it where we say we have to be okay with the freedom that God gives to us. By not over-programming, let me just tell you a couple of things that happen. One is that leaders don't stagnate the creativity and passion of the body. If it was left to a handful of people, elders and pastors, people with titles, let's say, to come up with every program of the church, we'd be a miserably narrow-funneled uh, church. We wouldn't have a vision for, for things. People and places in your neighborhoods, in your spheres of influence, that I can't possibly touch. You will be amazed in the next six weeks to hear of people in this room, most of them I will use anonymously, who are mentoring homeless people, who are coming alongside whole families and altering the course of that family because of what they're doing. Who are spending time with the least of these in our society, and they've never been noticed for it necessarily who are pouring their lives out in some fragrant ways that I know is pleasing to God. And it just reeks of grace. And guess what? None of it's a church program. I don't get to say, oh, yeah, that's a neighborhood, neighborhood thing. We're doing this. It's not true. People in our body are doing this. And that's the cool thing about it. By not over-programming, the great variety of the body is seen and developed. It prevents atrophy. Some of you have gifts and skills that if all we did was, was kind of these little things and it, everyone had to funnel into this, then it would, it, would, it would prevent you ever getting to use your gifts and strengths. There are some of you that will come to me in the next year and say, Dave, I've got an idea about this. What do you think? And I'll say, that sounds like a great idea. You need to go pursue it. We, we shouldn't pursue that as a church. What that means is uh, you may be stepping down from a key thing that's helping our church go along. And I'm going to say, praise God. Man, we're going to miss you. I can't wait to see who God's going to raise up in your, in, in your stead because you're a huge part of this thing. But go for it. That's right where God needs you. Drop that church responsibility and get out there in the public school. That makes a ton of sense to me. Yes, God will raise someone up for our needs here. Not worried about that. 
by not over-programming, participation and ownership is heightened and it's spread throughout the whole body. Instead of a few, thing, a few people owning this and feeling the weight of it and staying up late and dreaming and praying, there's a lot of us doing that all of a sudden. And we say, man, this is an urgent call that we're called to make disciples and to do it with love. And instead of me just having sleepless nights, you get to have sleepless nights. Do you see how great this is? It's beautiful. <laughs> By not overprogramming, God receives the glory as the whole community, as the whole body comes alongside and, get, and does its part. Instead of a few all-stars, well, that guy's super gifted, and so they, he, he really gets most of the ministry. And she over there, she just does all the stuff in children's because she's awesome. That way, a couple people get the glory. This way, God gets the glory as the whole body's functioning together. In short, the body is being built up and disciples are being made. Here's the change we're making today. This play button is, is familiar to you. You've seen it. It's been around. It's really a simple kind of visual representation <clears throat> to our purpose and our path of, of, of discipling here at Neighborhood Bible Church. What I, love about, what I love about the play button is you see it a lot. I see it a lot anyways. I hit the play button every single day, to be sure, many times a day on my iPhone as I'm driving around. And it's, it's simple. It requires faith. It, it indicates movement and action and moving forward. Something happens. There's a lot of great stuff to this. We got the right symbol, but we got the color wrong. Here's the, here's the, the, the change today. The color is green, right? Green means go. Green means that things are happening and moving forward. So from here on out, you're going to see a green play button and not a blue. I tend to lean towards blue, but I'm giving that up. I'm sacrificing that because I think this, this really communicates more. Here's what we believe the maturing disciple, the moving disciple, the one following after disciple is, is, uh, is, is able to, to, to look like. They're growing and passionately involved in these three areas. One is a loving, deepening relationship with God. If your relationship with God looks exactly the same today as it did a year ago, I would challenge you on that. I would say you're sinning. I would say you're missing the mark. Because we don't serve a stagnant God who's not going places and not doing things. My life ought to look different than it did a year ago. If not, something's wrong. If that goes on year after year after year after year, it would be similar to a married couple who would say, yeah, our relationship's exactly the same as 10 years ago. And you'd be like, do you need help paying for counseling? Or what's, what's happening? Like, that's weird. That's really, really problematic. Talk about buried treasure and talent. Here's the second thing. A committed and loving relationships with the family of God. Some of you can say, man, me and God were like this. But I just find it so hard to even get to know the name of one other person in this church. That's a problem. And that's on you. But people aren't really friendly. People don't, you know, people want me to do eye contact. I don't know, whatever the issue might be. That's on you. A growing disciple says, man, I'm a part of this family. I want to be growing and passionately involved in relationships with the family of God. Thirdly is that they're serving and sharing with other people. And this can happen individually. It can happen as a family. It can happen as a church. You'll notice neighborhoods kind of programmed around this this uh, same thing, worship services, what we're doing right now. This, this better not be the only place that we connect with God, but it's certainly designed that way. Community groups are all about uh, growing and passing uh, relationships with, with, uh, with other people. Uh, I heard from someone who's not here this morning, but she said to me yesterday, 
She said, man, I, I couldn't make group on Friday, but I had to swing in and get something. And she just said, man, it was just family. I walked out of that place realizing that was my family there. No condemnation about missing Bible study. None of that. There was a real sense, though, that she just said, man, that group is my family. And I said, what a blessing that is. Man, take time this week to look each other in the eyes in your community group and thank one another. Say, thank you for putting up with me. And let's see where God's going to take us this next year. Finally, share is something we, 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 don't, really, we don't really program share per se, because that sometimes kills it. We'll have things, and we'll definitely keep share events kind of going on, but those are all meant to kind of spur you on to be doing it on your own. You can kind of see the progression of this. It starts with worship. It moves on to the building up of the body for the purpose of good works, which is share. And each one of these is kind of ongoing and continuous. You don't arrive at worship. You don't arrive at community. You don't arrive at sharing. So in that sense, we're never perfect until we're perfected, right? We keep moving out on this. This is what these coming weeks is going to be about. Some of you are going, I get that, I want that, but how? We're going to take a whole week next week and look at the word worship and why that's a component of being a disciple and, and, and why these are the, the essentials to being a disciple. There's a lot of other things we can fight about, and we'll probably do that, but, but worship we can't fight about. That's in there. Living in community, you cannot do this alone. Unacceptable, unbiblical. And to do all of this without sharing and having it, having it expressed in that way, again, that's missing it. Ephesians 4.11 says it this way, he who, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And then the question comes up, why? Why did he, the head, give us, the church, this? Here it is. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I said it's a play button. It's clearly an arrow. Where's this thing going? What's the end result? It's maturity. It's completeness. It's faithfully finishing and finishing well. I want to kind of wrap up with this idea. Growth is the result of a partnership between you and God. You have to look no further than a farmer. And I know most of us don't maybe know farmers, but maybe some of you grow things here and there. I'm growing children right now. We do miserable with plants. We're doing okay with kids. You go to a farmer and you talk to them, and a farmer understands quite clearly, doesn't he, that growth is a partnership between him and God. And here's the miracle of that. Next time you eat into... Uh, I had a great nectarine this week. Next time you bite into a great nectarine, next time you eat a salad, next time you eat something that's been grown, right? I want you to think about this, that the farmer cannot do what God must do. In this partnership, the farmer cannot make it rain, cannot perform the things that go on under the soil that, that allow for growth, cannot make the sweetness happen. So the, the farmer cannot do what God must do. And get this, God will not do what the farmer must do. In other words, it's this partnership where God comes along and says, you till the soil, you plant the seed. You, you, you put it just far enough under, not too far. You, you do that part. You keep the weeds out. You keep watering it. You keep tending to it. And together, we're going to make awesome nectarines. And Dave's going to get to enjoy it one day. You know what? In your life, it's exactly the same way. There are things in your life you can't possibly do. God, it's required that God does it. 
And that's why it's so thrilling when you pray and ask God for that. And you do what you're supposed to do. We're going to look at this broken down. Worship, community, share. We'll figure out that, that out a little bit together. And I certainly don't have it figured out completely. I'll, I'll guarantee you that. But what you'll start to see is a crop begin to grow. And some guy that you've never met named Dave gets to enjoy it. There are things growing in your life right now, I'm convinced of this, that months from now, someone in your family, someone in your circle of network, you may never know how it's going to bless them, but they're going to get to enjoy fruit of this partnership of growth that's going on in your life. One of the beautiful things is, at the end of the day, you, you, you kind of turn back and look, and look inward and you realize, man, I've been benefiting from this all along too. Being in a partnership with God is unbelievable. Band, I want you to come on up. <clears throat> Some of you are specific type people. And I'll give you a warning. I'll give you an encouragement that in the coming weeks, we are going to take this idea of what a pure and simple church looks like and how to move it forward with some things. But I, I mentioned this last week. As a spiritual coach, as a spiritual shepherd, I cannot say for you, Jeff, here's what it means to say yes to God and no to sin in your life. I, I can give some parameters. I can point to some scriptures. But I can't give you specifics of saying, here's what you should lay down and here's what you should pick up. That's between you and the Lord. And so as we move forward, we are going to get more specific about some of this. And you will receive some specifics. I know some people want action steps. We're going to give you next steps. We're going to make it almost impossible for you to say, I don't know the first step to take. We're going to hand that to you on a silver platter. But that gift is meant to kind of lead you on and eventually wean you off to where, to where you're, you're doing this on your own. And you're able to, to follow the Lord as He leads. Before we go into this thing, I just want to close with this prayer. Bow your heads and close your eyes. This is from Colossians chapter 1. And this is how the elders, this is how leaders in this church pray for this family of believers. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Amen.